0: thankful that Jesus is our King, that He is worthy of all honor and glory. And as we have this morning celebrated His kingship, celebrated His might through these songs that have been sung to Your honor and glory, we look now to Your Word and we pray that You would teach us how from Your Word Jesus is a better King, that He is the person for whom our soul longs. And I pray today that if there's one here that does not know him, that they would see that he is indeed better. In Jesus' good name we pray. Amen and amen. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's word and look with me in the book of Esther. The book of Esther, and if you need help getting there, it's right after Nehemiah. You're welcome. Or if you go to Job, you may have a time finding Job. Go to Job and then back up one book. Or if uh, you have a Bible like mine, it's page six fifty three. The table of contents is your friend and your Bible if you need some help getting to the book of Esther. As so uh, we we have uh, it's been stressed us this morning and the songs that we sung, how how Jesus is mighty and how He's worthy of of all our praise and all our adoration. And today we're going to look. Look at how Jesus is a better king. And this is the very beginning of a new series that I'm starting today uh, from the book of Esther. And I've titled the series, Jesus is Better. We're going to see in the book of Esther shadows of God and shadows of Jesus. If you've been around here any amount of time, you know that I have a very strong conviction that the Old Testament has one purpose... In mind, and that's to point us to Jesus, and that the New Testament's purpose is to exalt Jesus and help us look back at his sacrifice. And so it, it shouldn't surprise us then that as we spend some time in the book of Esther, although Jesus is not yet born, we will see images of Jesus, we will see shadows of Jesus in God all throughout this book, and, and we're going to spend a significant amount of time. In fact, Esther is going to be our friend throughout the summer as we just work through this book and and we see how Jesus is better. The the book of Esther, just to kind of set the ground stage or the groundwork for us, the, the book of Esther is one of the last books that's written in the Old Testament. We're not really sure who the author is. What we do know is that Christians for the longest time have not known really what to do with this book. For the first 700 years of the church's history, not one commentary was written on the book of Esther. It's quite a difficult book to interpret or to outline. In fact, I don't have an outline, nor do I have any points. This is a pointless sermon. (laughs) Some of you sinners would say, what's the difference in this and any other Sunday? And to you deacons who would say that, I say, how dare you? But we will see as we work through that there certainly is a a point to this book, but it's difficult for us to to interpret it. It doesn't give us a commentary. It it just gives us history. And the rest of the Bible is silent about this book. Jesus does not mention it as he does some other Old Testament books. None of the New Testament points back to this book. It's relatively silent. Yet, the Bible tells us that all Scripture. is God-breathed, and it's useful, and that includes the book of Esther. So, let's think about the who, the when, and the where as we begin to jump off into this book. Who is the first character that God introduces to us in this story? We're going to look at Esther chapter 1, and we're going to begin where any good Bible reader would begin in verse 1. Now, in the days of Ahasuerus, cerus mm-hmm. 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 Ahasuerus is the Persian name of this king. His Greek name is Xerxes. I will refer to him as Xerxes all throughout this series, even though our Bibles refer to him in his, in his Hebrew name as Ahasuerus, uh, because Xerxes is just how I learned him as I studied him. But also, we'll see in a little while that Xerxes is a Jerxes, and I couldn't find anything to rhyme with Ahasuerus. <laughs> Try looking at your thesaurus for that one. And and so we're introduced to King Ahasuerus, King Erxes, He was the great Persian king. He's in his mid-30s. He grew up very wealthy, very affluent. His dad was king before him. The story is taking place in this particular location. The Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia over 127 provinces. This is telling us that this man is the most powerful man on the face of the earth. His kingdom spans multiple nations and multiple people groups. In his kingdom, there are different races, there are different ethnicities, there are different languages, there are different religious convictions. Now, if Xerxes had any kind of religious devotion, it would have been pagan. He did not worship the God, Jehovah God, of the Bible. At this point, he lives away in a place called Susa, which is around modern-day Iran. He lived away from Jerusalem, away from the temple, away from the priesthood, away from the presence of God on earth. The story of Esther shows us that God is at work in nations beyond Jerusalem. He's even at work in pagan godlessness Nations like this Persian kingdom. Now, in the ancient world, Xerxes and kings like him would be considered to be gods. They would have multiple wives, they would also have a large harem. In fact, the palace would include a section just for the women that were there just to please the king physically. It was believed that if you had many wives and a huge harem and lots of children, that it showed the greatness of that king and his kingdom. Erxes, as we will see, is a narcissistic, spoiled, rich kid who grew up in the palace, never worked a day in his life. He didn't go to war. He didn't fight. He didn't struggle. He lacked absolutely nothing and was given the kingdom that his father had for him to rule over. But in the minds and the eyes of the people, Erxes, who observed his rule and reign, he is a God. There is no one at his level of authority, of power, of might. There has never been to this point in the book of Esther in the history of the world someone like King Xerxes who had an empire this large, who was this affluent and this powerful. This is a big man. Verse 2 tells us, when it all happened, In those days when King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign. So the palace in Susa was on something called an acropolis. An acropolis is is a high point. So get the mental picture in your mind. King Erxes sits high and exalted on a hill like a god near the heavens and the commoners and the peasants who want to gaze upon his palace, who want to gaze upon his kingdom. They have to look up to him as he looks down on them. A lot of symbolism. Now, Erxes sat on a throne His throne symbolized everything He valued. It was enormous. It was glorious. And the picture of Him seated upon a throne, high and exalted, is a God like portrait. It shows Him in all His majesty and glory, ruling and reigning like a God. If you or I were to one day decide to sit upon that throne, death was the penalty. If we were to step on the rug in front of that throne. Death was the penalty. If we were alive at that time and we would pass before him, we were forced to bow down in homage, in worship, in adoration to the great king, Xerxes, the king of all kings. He was regarded as a god and he was worshiped as a god. What does someone do With all that power, all that wealth, all that fame, he throws a party. Look at verse 3. Check verse 3. Erxes gave a feast for all his officials and servants... The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and the governors of the provinces were before him. He threw big parties. This is how he will maintain (coughs) his rule over his kingdom. This is how he will keep everyone in line. He invites all the military, all the political leaders to the palace. He feeds them the best food. He gives them the best drink. He hands them the most beautiful harem. And he gives them gifts of gold and silver. Silver, they'll do anything for him in return because they think that he cares for them. This was the party to end all parties, and it didn't cost them a dime. All of it is free from the good hand of the great king, Erxes. Verse 4. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days, a six-month party. You think you got some on a weekend. Six-month-long party. And notice that it was to show his royal glory that's a worship word the word glory here's what's happening everyone come see the glory of this king he is high and exalted and seated on his throne we're going to gather people all around him people from all the nations that he rules does that sound familiar And while he's seated on this throne, we're going to spend six months toasting the great King Xerxes while he sits upon his throne and receives honor and glory and praise, and he's worshiped as a God. It's all about his glory. Verse 5. And when the days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa the Citadel, both great and small, a feast lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Now he opens the party up to all the regular folk, all us peasants, all us commoners. The normal citizens get to party for a solid week. Verse 6 there were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry marble mother of pearl you know spongebob was there but there is mother of pearl and precious stones note that he has fine jewels as the flooring this is over the top this is majestic Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. The best wine, sweet tea, whatever, that could possibly be made was poured into fine gold. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. The drinking rules were very simple. There were no rules. What could go wrong, right? There were no rules. You can drink whatever you want, as much as you want, whenever you want. But notice that at this party, it was just for one group of people, it was for the men. They drank as each man desired. Where are the women? Well, verse 9 shows us that Queen Vashti, his wife, also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. Over in another room, another portion of this palace is Queen Vashti, and she has a smaller feast for the women in the king's harem. Let me ask you a question that I want you to think about for just a second. What's missing from the first nine verses of this book. Better yet, who is missing from the first nine verses of this book? God. I mean, God's not there. Well, what if we keep reading? Well, guess what? I've read the whole book of Esther a few times. God's never mentioned. God never appears. God never speaks. No prophet speaks on God's behalf. No angels show up. The heavens don't open, and God doesn't deliver a personal word. There's nothing supernatural from the naked eye, nothing miraculous that happens. No no mention of Jerusalem. No mention of the temple or the presence of God. There's no mention of the priesthood or the sacrificial system for sin. There's no quoting of the other books of the Bible. There's no giving of, of God's law. No one repents. No one prays. There's no action of God from God revealed anywhere. Where is God? The answer to that question is that God is silhouetted in the book. You see, a painting is in great detail. A painting, you notice the curves and the lines and the different colors that are in a well-done painting. A silhouette paints a portrait through absence see, God appears in the book of Esther, but he does so silhouetted. When you look at the absence of God, it then reveals to you the presence of something you missed in the first place. And I'll show you that in just a few minutes. You see, God works in Esther not through his visible hand of miracle, but through his invisible hand of providence. I want you to hear me this morning because it's something that we need to hear in our time and that every generation needs to hear in its time. History is not circumstance or happenstance or chance. History is governed by providence. God is sovereign and he is good. He rules and reigns over all peoples, all times, in all places. He is in the detail of history and he is working everything out according to a plan for his glory and for our good. Maybe it seems as if your life is kind of like the story of Esther Fields. You need to know today that God is at work in your life as well. The voice of God may not (coughs) thunder down, but God is active, God is present, God is at work in the lives of his people, even those who are far away from him, as they were in the time of Esther. You see, we're introduced to this man, Ahasuerus, Erxes. But up above Erxes, and here's the good news, the good news is that above Erxes, there is another king. Esther is the only book of your Bible. Esther is a part of the storyline that leads to a greater king. Above Erxes, there is another throne. And seated on that throne is a king named Jesus. Jesus is our king. But unlike Ierxes, Jesus got off his throne. He did not invite us to just come and sit around him. He first came down to dwell among us. My one point for you today is in the title of this sermon. Jesus is a better king than Xerxes. And let me tell you why. Xerxes was the son of Darius. Jesus is the son of God. Xerxes never tasted poverty nor he humility. Jesus tasted both poverty and humility in order to identify with us. Erxes spent his entire life being served. Jesus spent his entire life serving other people. Erxes killed his enemies with an army of millions. Jesus died for his enemies, saving billions. Erxes sat upon a throne in Susa, Jesus sits upon a throne in heaven. Xerxes was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. Jesus made the heavens and the earth and rules over all creation. Xerxes died and today no one worships Xerxes as God. Jesus defeated death and today billions of people worship Jesus as the only God. Xerxes he was a man who became God. Jesus is the only God who became a man. The kingdom of Erxes had subjects from many nations. The kingdom of Jesus has joyful worshipers from every nation. Erxes threw big parties and banquets, and Jesus is preparing a banquet. He's preparing a party for his people that will make Erxes is pale in comparison. The kingdom of Xerxes came to an end. The kingdom of Jesus Christ has no end. We can celebrate today because we belong to a greater king, and we belong to a greater kingdom. We have received a greater gift, and we're looking forward to a greater blessing. We gather in the name and for the fame of Jesus Christ, who who is our great king and a better king than any king and every king because he's the king of kings. (laughs) Above Erxes, there is Jesus. And if they were willing to throw such a lavish, extravagant, fun, joyful parties for a false king... How much more should we rejoice and be glad that our king knows us, that our king loves us, that our king saves us, that our king sustains us, that our king seeks us, that our king serves us, and that our king is preparing a banquet for us. Every person is chasing a crown. Every person is pursuing a king. And I only know of one who is faithful. You see, if you follow the king Erxes, is the plural of Herxes Erxes is, we'll say it is. If you follow the Ierxeses in your life, you'll find out that they always overpromise and underdeliver. that thing you seek to give you significance, the thing you seek to give you love, the thing you seek to accept you and change you. It always makes promises it cannot keep. It always disappoints, but not King Jesus. Jesus is a better king because he is the king of kings. My question to you is, do you know that king? Do you have a relationship with that king? Has there been a time in your life when you surrendered all that you have at his feet, Has there been a time in your life when you've confessed your sin and cried out to him to save you from that sin? He is a better king. And the glorious news is that although peasants and common folk could not enter into the presence of King Erxes, the only ones who could come into King Jesus' presence are sinners. You know why that's good news? Because that's us. That's us. I have a king who is better than you know him today. In just a second, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and sing. This is what we call our time of commitment. Maybe today the Spirit has stirred in your heart as we have seen this human king and his faults and failures, but we have seen a perfect king in all his righteousness maybe today would be the day that you call out to Jesus to be your Savior. If you've got a question about that, we've got people to help answer those questions. I'll be in this altar. This altar will be open for you to pray. Maybe you've made Jesus your king, but you need to live like he's your king. Maybe an urxies has popped up in your life and you're seeking to serve someone else. King Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. He'll hate the one and love the other. He'll be devoted to one and despise the other. Make your choice today so when you leave this building, you are following King Jesus because as we'll see next week, his kingdom is the only one that will last. And he's the only king who when you fail him will still love you. And when you disappoint him will still smile upon you in favor because the truth is you can't disappoint the one has brought you and adopted you into his kingdom. Father God, I pray today if there's one in this place that today would be the day that they let go of their sin and trust Jesus who is a better king. Whatever you're calling us to do today, whatever the next step is that we need to take, would you help us take that step in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and Thank you.